This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. This is Joris Peels with another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. How you doing, Max? I'm good, Joris. How you doing today? I'm good. I'm good, Max. A little bit, uh, you know, a little bit under the weather, maybe perhaps a bit, a bit cold and stuff like that. But apart from that, uh, all good. I hear you on that. My my child has had a cold on and off for three or four weeks now. But this is the winter time, so it is what we get. <laughs> Who do we have on the 3D pod today to talk about additive manufacturing? Uh, well, we got Chris Pru, and Chris Pru started uh, as an engineer. Uh, and he ended up doing lots and lots of interesting things. Ended up working for General Electric as a senior technologist, uh, working at GE Aviation on additive materials and processes and production coatings and ceramics and stuff like that. And then he ended up working for the OEM Adup. Uh, and now he's at United Performance Metals or UPM, and he's their application development manager. And essentially, what I love about this is, is not only that uh, Chris's experience here we're going to talk about later, but UPM is, is essentially, well, it's, it's, it's like a metal supplier, essentially, for a lot of customers. And what they've decided to do is focus on a couple of areas of 3D printing that are things that not really anyone else focuses on. And one of them is, for example, build plate resurfacing, and the other one is like manufacturing build plates. And these are things that, well, I thought that was really interesting when people are focusing on that kind of stuff. So I really, really wanted to talk to Chris. So welcome to the show, Chris. Ah, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And uh, always happy to talk about additive. So, Chris, so when did you get started in uh, 3D printing? Or when did you first come into contact with the technology? So, within 3D printing, uh, I, I'm going to go back to 2010. So, I was at uh, uh, G Power and working at that time with their casting group for the very large gas turbine blades. And the idea of utilizing 3D printing for ceramic casting cores came into play. So, we had exposure with developing some of the early prototypes uh, for casting cores where you're basically using a, a plastic style 3d printer to, uh, inject ceramic material and then burn that off and leave a, a net ceramic shape for a casting core. And within that, uh, I got, I got a call from a, a friend who had been moved up to Cincinnati to G aviation and said, Hey, could you do it up here? And, you know, essentially, Hey, it's the same thing you're doing. It's just a, a little smaller scale. But I think if you know anything within the uh, you know, power generation or aircraft business, nothing's actually a scale and everything has its unique challenges, but it was utilizing that process to then scale up a factory that could work with within GE for the ramp up of a lot of their new engine programs, including the the Leap and the GE9X and and trying to not only develop next generation cores and also develop the design rules around them. Within that, though, we started to experiment and say, you know, do we need this complicated of a process? And so we got to the point where we started, you know, investigating DLP processing within ceramics and the idea of, well, instead of doing all these steps, why don't we just print the ceramic directly? Uh, and then that evolved later into time spent within thermal spray coatings, which, I mean, is very similar, you know, is, is an additive process in its own right in terms of building material onto another and trying to join to similar materials. And then that led me into to GE Additive, where I worked with them uh, within, you know, there you get kind of a nice little playground of, of, of electron beam machines, powder bed machines, binder jet machines, and, you know, working with that technology in terms of, of material and process. So that parlayed into then 
getting into the idea of, of startup, you know, of working in these environments where you're moving fast and, and trying to create the learnings. And so I pivoted then over to, to Adup, uh, who was actually an OEM that was working on building their North American facility, uh, surprisingly right here in Cincinnati. Cincinnati becomes kind of a little hotbed of, of 3D printing, actually. So there's a lot of folks here. I mean, obviously, if you know, you know, the, 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 the Morris Technologies, you know, the original 3D, you know, metal 3D printers here in the U.S. It kind of all centers around here. But within Adup, again, we had a blank floor space that we had to develop into what would be their North American center. And they have done a tremendous job with that. And so within that, I became a customer of what is now UPM Additive Solutions because we needed the build plates. And so we started working with them and there became kind of a, a natural point, you know, in my career where in talking with them and understanding, again, that startup mentality and where they wanted to go, saying, you know, how about we work together and we look at growing this potential business. And so now for the past, you know, 16 months, I've, I've been with UPM and, and it's been tremendous what we're able to do. And having the background I do in industry to see where some of the issues are and be able to address them through the, you know, extensive network of folks that I know uh, and the trust I've, you know, hopefully built over the years with them to be able to come in and say, listen, we want to help you guys because the idea of what we're doing now is enabling folks to be able to scale by focusing on what they do best instead of focusing on items that maybe don't add value or detract from their vision. I'd like to go a little bit back to like this investment casting, casting thing. Um, because that is for, for 3D printing something we don't often talk about, but it's a much bigger application, I think, than people think of, right? I, you know, is, that's always been something that sounds maybe a bit easier than it actually is to do. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, my, my thought, and, and if you look at a lot of the articles recently where folks talk about, you know, why hasn't 3D printing grown, you know, to the heights that it's projected, I think the, the issue became is, you know, 12, 13 years ago, people were buying these thinking they're going to jump right in and replace investment casting. Well, you know, investment casting or casting in its form, you know, it's been around for, you know, thousand years, thousands of years, however you'd like to call it. And so it's a very, it's a very vetted process. And so to jump in and just say, we're going to take this new technology and supplant it as, you know, a, a disruptive technology, I think was a little short-sighted at the time. Uh, but the idea of using 3D printing to accelerate casting development, minimize the cost of building cast tooling, and also vetting designs quickly is where it falls in. And I think the companies that have grasped that concept are the ones that are, are seeing the benefits of it. Yeah, totally, totally. And, uh, and the other thing is also you touched upon is like, okay, printing it directly in, in well, you know, if you're talking investment casting, you print the thing directly in uh, ceramics, then you're skipping like uh, six, seven steps or something, depending on what you're doing. But that seems really attractive. But I think, you know, also ceramics 3D printing has been a thing that people have been working on for a long time, and especially with larger parts, like typical kind of casting parts, that's proven to be very difficult as well, right? Absolutely. I mean, as anything scales, it becomes it becomes more difficult. And ceramics, obviously, uh, with the technologies you have right now, when you're done printing, you know, again, you don't have a final part. You have, uh, you know, in the DLP process, basically, you have, a, you know, a ceramic with a, you know, photopolymer. Uh, within the SLA, you have, you know, a fused, a fused piece with, with polymer uh, that you then have to go through a sintering process. And so very similar to the challenges that they'll see in the 
binder jet process. You know, there could be distortion. There is an art in terms of how you center, how effective you are in controlling your distortion. And so as you get larger and larger, those little pieces of distortion tend to, you know, become a huge issue. So for that, um, I think there are some companies out there that are working to solve that issue. And I think we've seen a couple of examples, you know, folks trying to look at those large investment casting cores for gas turbine. I think the smaller ones in aviation, uh, some of the foundries have kind of overcome that a little bit uh, by being, you know, working on two and three piece uh, overlays. But on the large ones, it's just very hard to do that and maintain dimensional consistency. You still think it's in its infancy, so to speak, in terms of mass production style printing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think yeah. right now, you know, for a, you know, a gas turbine style core, the style of machine that is out there right now, you know, could maybe print two or three of these at a time, maybe. So, I mean, if, you know, depending on how long your print cycle is, you know, even if you could turn that machine over, you know, you're, you're making a few a day. And again, there's still a lot of processing that has to go on. So again, it doesn't just come off the printer and go into casting. So uh, still probably uh, yield issues to overcome and, you know, just timing. Uh, obviously, though, the gas turbine market being, you know, a growth area, but the volume a lot less than, say, a commercial aircraft engine where you need, you know, 50 blades on a on a, on a wheel and, you know, you're making, you know, hundreds of these, thousands of these a year uh, versus a gas turbine where you might be making like, say, you know, 10 to 12 units a year. I'm so glad you mentioned those markets because gas turbine, of course, it's for you, it's, it's very well known. But for a lot of you, they did so much pioneering work in 3D printing, not only with the direct printing, but also like blade repair, turbine blisk repair, um, also like, you know, ink canals and other really high temperature materials, intermetallic materials, composites as well. So that's been a market that's really kind of, a lot of it's like kind of the down low kind of defense stuff, right? But a lot of it, and a lot of it is really secret, but I think that's a market that has really pushed additive to really perform to make things that are really critical and, and have to be made at reasonable volumes as well. It has. And I think it's working with companies now to, you know, overcome the hesitancy to incorporate additive, but also looking at how we can qualify those additive processes faster. So, you know, for example, I was at the, the DMC conference uh, last week and Within that, you know, working with the, the AM Forward folks and America Makes and, you know, trying to look at common platforms across, you know, just the aviation industry, but this could easily apply within gas turbine. But how do we qualify these processes faster and how do we come up with a common template so that the qualification for GE is similar to the one for Pratt & Whitney, is similar to the one for Rolls-Royce, you know, Boeing, Lockheed. So across commercial and defense to make that adoption much simpler and much more cost effective so that businesses, you know, are less risk averse to enter into these ventures. Yeah, I think that'd be, that's a wonderful initiative. I think, I think it's actually kind of ludicrous, right? That, that we'd have to keep doing this and everybody has different norms and standards and stuff and, and it just wastes so much time. So I think that's good. No, let's jump a little bit to, to UPM a bit because you did mention it. You guys wanted to focus on something that like where you could add value and that fits into this kind of like, you know, people trying to specialize, people trying to make this thing from being like a, a thing in the corporate kind of competence center to something being happening on the, the, the concrete floors and going to production. So UPM makes bar stock steel, all that kind of stuff. So you guys could have just made powder, right? Like anyone else trying to get in this market, you're like, yeah, we'll make our own powder. But you guys decided to do something completely different, right? Uh, you decided to make essentially like recoder blades and, 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 uh, 
um, and, and build platforms. So tell me first off, why did you do that? Was it just a specialization? Was it just coincidence? How did you end up in that business? It's almost all of those, but I mean, it starts, everything in our business starts with our customers. And, you know, one of the, 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 the taglines we really like to use and, and we believe in is, is called customer-driven solutions. And it's the idea of, you know, our customers have needs and they working with them closely, they will present the needs. And so this started uh, actually back in 2020 with a customer approaching us who had bought traditional products from us and said, hey, could you guys make a bill plate for us, you know, an additive bill plate? And the, you know, at the time the company said, well, what does that entail? They got a drawing. They said, yeah, that seems possible. I mean, at the time it was a, a you know, a simplistic design. Uh, you know, square plate with, you know, four holes and a couple of counterbores in it, uh, ground flat. And, you know, we looked across at the equipment we had and said, okay, we could probably, you know, do something like this. But then in 2021, the the leadership got the idea of, you know, are there more people out there that could utilize a service like this? Could they? And then what would the investment be on our end to be able to grow a business such as this? So as 2021 emerged, uh, they they found a building, which was actually right across the street from our corporate headquarters. So it was a great location. They had already some talented people brought on that were familiar with the products. And they went and kind of scoured, you know, the, the industry to see who could use a service like this. And they were very surprised to find out that the need for that was growing because there are a lot of uh, smaller companies out there that are just getting their first machine that you know, don't want to have a mill and a grinder and an EDM and all these other pieces on site. And so the idea of building the business this way made a ton of sense in terms of scaling it for, at the time, bill plates, recoder blades, and the, the consumables piece. Within that, though, then they, you know, they install everything in 2021, get into 2022. And, you know, now they kind of turn back and say, all right, what's our identity as a business here? What do we want to be able to do? And as they're pondering this, you know, they get a call. Uh, hey, can you guys host the president of the United States next week? And it, it's, you know, it's just always an amazing story. And, and you know, if you ever meet my general manager, he's got, he tells it so well uh, because, I mean, he's literally sitting on his back porch one night getting a call on his phone that says the White House. So a week later, we're thrust into hosting the president, having, you know, all the CEOs of these major companies for the AM Forward announcement there. Uh, and then, Interestingly, having a, a printer on site uh, from our friends at GE, and so it created a lot of confusion in the beginnings. People said, oh, you guys are a service provider. You, you print parts. And we're like, no, that printer was literally just here for the week. So please don't, uh, you know, don't confuse that. So, but as, as they launched into it, you know, we start going to the shows. And when you think about some of the traditional shows out there, you know, how many times have you ever walked by a booth and just see a bill plate that is just a plate, you know, without parts on it? A lot of people do like to display, uh, you know, their parts on the plates still as well. But, you know, we, we decided to kind of change that and show the products that we make, the depth of the products we make, the variety of materials that we make. And it is amazing sometimes the eye candy that even just this hunk of metal with four holes in it uh, can draw people in to ask questions because it's allowing them to see you know, the art of the possible for what they can do within their additive process. They don't have to be limited by materials or thicknesses or geometries. They can have what they want. And so that customization, even within this, you know, as we call it like a, a niche of the industry, uh, I think has really helped to expand people's thoughts. So what, first of all, am I allowed to just do this? I mean, isn't this like a part that like, I don't know, it's like a GE OEM part. Am I just allowed to make my own bill plan? How does that work? 
So, I mean, I, I definitely can't answer for every OEM, but, you know, essentially, if you look back at the history, and there, and again, there may be one or two out there, but, you know, my, my experience is none of the OEMs themselves make their own build plates. I mean, yes, they have a drawing that is generated by them that obviously goes with the machine. Uh, but in this case, a lot of times that, you know, that drawing is shared. So if you uh, were to call, you know, one of your OEM sales reps and say, hey, listen, I need build plates. The rep will send you the drawing in a lot of cases. Um, you know, there are a few that really do want to make sure they that they control the quality of the build plates as well. Uh, so everyone has a little bit of different different model. But yes, in general, I mean, could any machine shop go make a build plate? Absolutely. Uh, but but with, no one, no one's claiming copyright over build plates or something like that. Not that, we, not that we have seen <laughs> so far. Because right. again, back to my back to my original kind of statement is, you know, if I'm an OEM and additive right now, I want to build next generation cutting edge machines so that users can develop, you know, cool designs and applications for them. I don't, you know, it's it's not that they're trivial either because I'm sitting here telling you we make build plates, but you know, they don't want to focus on build plates and they shouldn't. I mean, if I, you know, again, I look at my time, you know, at at Adup or GE, I didn't want to worry about where build plates were coming from. I wanted to start machines. I wanted to do the next design or the next iteration. So, I feel like that's where we work with try to work with the OEM hand in hand to help alleviate that piece for them as well to become a partner with them and say, listen, you know, if you don't want to do it, we're here, we're here to help and we're here to make it simple for you. And then once you sell your machines to your customer base. But you did say like kind of like, oh, any machine shop could make it. So where are you guys putting in kind of your engineering and your your knowledge to making it so that people will buy from you and not just anybody? Well, it's it's a few fold on that, actually. And that's a great question. I mean, number one, at, you know, our core business is buying and selling bulk metals. So we already, as a business, have great relationships with mills, getting bulk material in, having multiple sources, understanding, you know, where to buy ahead before supply chain shortages. So that already becomes a huge advantage as where, and again, for a, you know, I'm just going to say a smaller machine shop. You know, they're not going to carry material inventory. They're going to buy the material when they need it. Now, some might, uh, very truly. But in this case, we're dealing with an industry right now that still doesn't, not all companies have the predictability in terms of their consumables. We are, you know, being, you know, taking a, a slight risk in terms of, you know, trying to carry inventory to meet the demand of the industry. The good news is, I mean, they're maybe, you know, 10 to 20 different sizes of material that we need. But then again, we have folks that need custom thicknesses. We have folks that need different materials, but we have those relationships be able to go get those quickly. So, you know, we focus on the bulk materials, which helps keep our costs low, which we can then pass along to our customers. We focus on our turn time and our focus of just making build plates. So, you know, we're not making one product one day, another product the next day as you know, a typical job shop might, we make build plates. And so we, our folks stay keenly focused on the quality of those products, the flatness, the surface finish, the whole, the features of the whole handling, packaging, all that, you know, with a keen focus to be able to supply the best product out to industry at a reasonable cost. I mean, that's where I kind of see where we have that advantage and, you know, to be able to be predictable in our schedule to do that as well. Because a lot of times when I've talked to folks, even on, Bill plates or even resurfacing, 
you know, they say, well, I've got a shop that they can go do that. And I'm like, I agree. You know, what do they do? You know, and they say, well, we send it to them and they send it back. And I say, when do you get it back? They said, some days, three days, sometimes three weeks. You know, for us on our resurfacing side, we tell we tell everyone it's 10 days. Once it hits our dock, it's turned around and back to you in 10 days. I mean, that's something you can start to plan your schedule around. Bill plates sometimes can be a little bit different. You know, six weeks, I would say, is the maximum time it takes us to get material in, machine it, and ship it out. But as we start to gather more requirements and more demand from the industry, we can lower that turn time down so that users are not sitting waiting on a bill plate to start this multi-million dollar machine that they just purchased. Talk to us a little bit, because you can also, of course, well, okay, you can have standard bill plates, but of course, if I'm building big, different parts... Uh, and even di uh, different parts, like bigger parts or lots of small parts, I would want maybe a different build plate, right? And also, I remember that I was once there and when a guy from uh, uh, what was called Phil's Medical at the time was explaining how they had build plates that they would cut in half uh, or they would like, make them kind of like so you could take them in half because they were building in tungsten and that was too heavy to carry. And to and they actually optimized these things to fit in different uh, de-stressing of the machines, right? So so talk to us about how, how to customize these things or how people want these things customized. Sure. Um, within that, every machine's a little bit different, but we have folks that have approached us that either want a reduced build volume or they want uh, a plate that, that you know, is an adapter plate so they can screw on and put, you know, say nine smaller builds onto one, onto one plate that are all separate and customized. We have folks that want uh, inserts inside of their plates or you know for the example you just said there joris tungsten i mean yeah if you've ever seen a tungsten plate actually interesting last week i think it was the uh one of the booths at the dmc the 6k additive booth they had three vials of powder they had inconel they had titanium and they had tungsten all about the same amount of powder within each but as you picked up the tungsten one it was noticeably heavier so yeah, to have a tungsten build plate obviously is 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 a luxury, and to have it that large and handled through your shop is difficult. So we say, well, how much build area do you actually need? You know, let's just say you're building on an EOS M290, but you're not sure yet. We can make a reduced volume plate just for that specific application. And do you have a lot of optimization? Uh, you know, as, as per per different. Well, do different kind of companies have different, like, new space people want to be different things than, like, for example, a dental manufacturer? Do you see a lot of difference between these two uh, different end industries and customers? Oh, absolutely. I mean, right now, I, you know, my from what I see is, you know, the space folks want to just go bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, dental manufacturing, you know, tends to want to be a little bit smaller and with lower Z height and quick turn. I mean, they want to be able to turn their machines two, three times a day. I think the space folks want to continue to build the impossible. Uh, so very large, you know, one meter long parts out of very exotic materials uh, to be able to maximize the use out of the machines they have. As where I think, you know, in the medical space right now, they want to have the same platform, multiple platforms that are repeatable, qualified and, and available. Okay, so 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 yeah, I love the fact that there's different materials now, but it's going to add a lot of complexity and stuff like that, a lot of more different build plates. It, but would you build, like, for example, a, a uh, uh, you know, would you design that build plate differently because it's a different material as well? I mean, in some cases you you might, but in a lot of cases, you know, with a powder bed fusion machine in particular, you know, you're you're kind of limited by the, the architecture of the machine in terms of what it has to have. Uh, but I mean, in terms of looking at 
if you want to design something, let's just say with a high cost alloy, but you want to do it in a reduced build area. So you need something that adapts to the machine. You might look at, you know, that a type of design that would that would adapt to the machine where you could use a reduced volume or you could use an, an insert so you could save a little bit of cost in terms of I mean, the overall piece, though. You know, the bolt holes still have to be in the same location or the locating pins or, you know, however you have the architecture, because obviously we see, you know, we see squares, we see rectangles, we see circles, you know, there's all different kinds of architectures depending on which, you know, which OEM you're, you're using. Is there advantages that like, could you, that I'm just throwing this out here, like, could I, could someone specifically you guys make a build plate out of a ceramic material, for example, for usage with something that therefore won't stick as heavily or, or it's easier than to destroy it because you just throw it on the ground kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or, or, or you want to use steel or some, some other material for some reason that the using an alternative build plate material might actually have an advantage that no one's considered yet. So uh, yeah, as an alternative build, uh, alternative material for build plate, yes, I think there are considerations out there. And again, I think as the sophistication grows for the industry, we're going to see that continue to rise because people, you know, again, you don't have to accept just whatever catalog has has been out there. You know, it's we're trying to let people know, kind of like when when 3D printing got started and everyone said, oh, you can print whatever you want. Well. That's true and it's not true. There's obvious limitations of what you can and can't do uh, with the technology. But with the build plate, same thing. We want to say, listen, it doesn't just have to be stainless steel, tool steel, nickel, copper. You know, if you need something, it, you know, unique for your application. If you look at a ceramic plate, though, it, you know, the funny thing is in powder bed fusion, you actually need something to stick to the plate. So uh, the ceramic piece might not be the, the most optimal. But yes, I mean, that that is very feasible. But then the other idea of, you know, making sure that you have an alloy that is of like, you know, style that you're going to be now bonding with your powder bed fusion process so that you can minimize, you know, you know, thermal expansion differences or, you know, your, your interaction between your plate and your part. That's absolutely something that's on the table and that we try to work with users every day. So, you know, we end up calling what we do, just our philosophy, we call it customer driven solutions. And so, you know, everyone says, all right, that's that's interesting. What is that? Well, I mean, at some days, it's literally just continued customer engagement to just talk to folks and find out what are your problems? What is going on in your shop and how can we help? Because some days, again, it's just to that point, Max, you know, people say, I wish I could just get a bill plate made out of this. And we're like, OK, let's go do that. <laughs> you know, and it's amazing to see the light come on and 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 how, you know, how satisfied people can be when they you know start to unlock more of the potential within this process. Because yeah. I remember also like the first time I've ever heard of this whole idea of like customizing the build plate is this, this really funny thing where the we were actually it was like an additive industries event and there was a guy there were people from Phillips Medical now Dunley I think and they were doing tungsten and they had and everybody's talking about manufacturing manufacturing and they had a problem that they're building these these screens for for CT machines MRI machines uh, out of uh, tungsten. And they were super duper heavy and they had to cut the bill plate in half to not have back problems in their employees. Right. And, and you could literally see everybody else in the audience saying like, yeah, we're not there yet. You know what I mean? It was like a really practical thing. And then what they did is they cut the bill platform or they made it so you could subdivide it. Right. And then it was also easier for de-stressing and further post-processing. And I was just like, it was like this completely mind blown moment <laughs> for me at least where it's like, 
oh wait and then the whole thing you can de-stress and you can take it uh take the parts off easier because it's only half of it you know i thought that was just brilliant no it is and i mean that's that's what i think people are starting to really think about when they get in their process and you know and and we challenge folks to say you know walk us through, walk us through your shop let's see everything you got to do i mean and that almost goes back to basic lean manufacturing principles and and value stream mapping it's like okay how many times does this bill plate have to be handled how many times does it have to be picked up how many times does it have to be mounted to something because also if you think about it you know these bill plates they're not light you know i mean they they, they can be anywhere from you know 25 pounds up to 420 pounds so think about moving that through your shop think about the the stress of equipment the stress of operators safety all of that. And so as we can walk someone through a shop and say, how can we make this simpler for you? It's amazing the creativity that comes out in terms of being able to mount to wire EDMs, easily load in a furnace, easily unload from a machine, uh, move on to secondary operations. And then also to that point, looking at you know optimizing what it is you're building. Because yeah, if you're building hundreds and hundreds of parts over and over repeatedly, you know, you can come up with better ways. And so, yeah, to individualize those pieces or subdivide the plates or only print the areas you want to print makes a lot of sense for folks. And it's just being able to work with them to, you know, help unlock that potential with them. It's funny at those weights, though, you're basically you're almost talking about tooling, moving tooling around. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about you're almost talking. I mean, for us, for the very large plates, I mean, we have an overhead crane system. I mean, we have to move them through the right. shop because yeah, the exactly. Or or, 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 a, or a car engine, you know what I mean? Yeah, someone's not picking it up. It has to be moved by a mechanical device of some kind, and you have to exactly. think about that. We'd, yeah, we'd have to bring in some world's strongest men candidates or something to be able to just lift those and move them down the aisle. So yeah, they, yeah, they roll barrels by day, and then they move tooling by, or move build plates by night. Um, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So this is also quite interesting because I've seen kind of a bit of a divorce in the market between, let's say, three kind of customer. This is like kind of like like really kind of big buckets. Let's say it doesn't really fit a hundred percent, but we're seeing a real move from let's say the Solucon, New Space, Air Force, Hypersonics crowd that want to make really really big parts. Think like combustion rocket propulsion stuff. You know, they're they're trying to fill like build one really big part in the build chamber. And then on the other hand, we've got the 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 um, you know kind of the teeth people or whatever that they're building like you know usually one layer of uh, but but a lot of the same relatively small parts in the same build. And then in the middle we've got like more of the service guys who are trying to you have a kind of mix, right? And and do you see like that's the main trend I'm seeing in the metal powder fusion thing where there's people these you know they get a silicone machine why because they want to powder these giant parts, right? And they have powder getting in everything. That's why they want silicone. And, um, you know, these other people, you know, they also want, they're really enthusiastic about the NX3 and all these giant SLM solutions machines because they want to go bigger and bigger and bigger. Are, are you seeing really different requirements for, for example, that, that group, that kind of more new space kind of group? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I, you know, I agree, I agree with what you said. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the medical type industry, uh, usually very repetitive, very low Z height builds. So, I mean, you know, not a lot of stress on the build plate. Uh, they can be very repeatable. They can be very precise. They can get a lot of uses out of that plate. You know, for the for the second category, as they're going larger, yes, I think there's still, I mean, obviously, if I, you're talking to one of the OEMs, they, they you know, they're going to tell you everything they know about the space right now. But I think as applications are coming out for specific customers as you're getting these machines, you know, they're still a little risk averse in terms of, 
you know, what they want to look at in terms of, you know, their overall overall life, uh, you know, their build plates, the mechanics of the build, you know, how long it's going to take to build, how it's going to take to cool it, how they're going to be able to handle it and process it. You know, and they, you know, they, they see sometimes what might be the inherent risk of it as well, because, you know, all of a sudden you, you build something for 125 hours, then you turn around and, you know, you, you stress relieve it, you cut it off and then oops, you know, it got messed up in machining. That's a lot of time and money that you invested and you got to, you know, you've got to recoup that now somehow. There's not just another, you know, 120 plus hour build waiting, waiting to be, uh, you know, waiting to be machined, you got to kind of start from scratch. So I think, you know, folks are really starting to explore that space. But I think for the for the OEMs that are building those large format machines, you know, the support network out there is is really strong. And so they are partnering with folks to be able to, you know, make sure that they are ensuring their success. So they're sitting there with the, you know, applications folks with the design folks and, you know, making sure that they're, you know, de-risking, you know, the idea of going to a large format machine. But I think you see a lot of companies out there right now going very deep into that, um, you know, especially uh, for the, you know, the automotive side and then especially for the uh, the space and hypersonic side. Yeah, so so I think that's really interesting. And how about this, like the more, what do you say, the medical side? These are the guys, the tablet cups, the dental, all that stuff. Yeah. One layer, usually low Z height, generally, or you know, E beam. Of course, they can stack it, but 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 typically they don't stack, right? They just do one layer, and they 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 do a lot of the same shapes, but slight variations all over the time. In my mind, these guys were really like much more focused upon like you know getting that build out and having it kind of be processed, that platform be processed in the in the in the most uh, efficient way. Are you seeing a lot of like customization there for, for, for onward processing? Are they going to ask you to lightweight them, for example? Cause they could, right. Compared to other people, they could totally make lightweight build platforms. that could be easier to lug around or things like that. Right. Yeah. And so we, yeah, we've definitely seen that. Um, I mean, there, you know, there are a couple folks that, you know, have asked for very specific, you know, style, style and size of build plates, just because, you know, it fits, it fits their shop. It fits their process. Um, you know, others, I think who have grown, you know, have already learned to adapt within the space they have, so they don't need it. Um, you know, they've got their qualified process and there's not a, a huge need to change it. I mean, that's, I know that's something, you know, early on when I was working, you know, on the OEM side uh, to go into a medical, you know, device company and say, hey, listen, I know you're happy with all these machines, but you should look at maybe buying one of ours. And, you know, for them to kind of educate you and say, listen, do you understand how much it's going to cost to requalify? You know, is your, you know, how much, how much different is your machine compared to what we have? And, you know, it's sometimes hard to make that hard to make that case. I mean, there are um, a lot of good cases of new companies coming in, though, obviously, that, you know, will will benefit from that. Uh, But on the, you know, on the side where you're making just, uh, you know, hundreds or thousands of these uh, devices, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the idea of just being optimized and knowing your process is is crucial. And I think a lot of those companies, yeah, absolutely. They are very, you know, very savvy on their cost, very savvy on their process. And so they're able to maximize the life out of everything they get from uh, making sure they understand, you know, especially in the titanium piece, you know, the oxygen content in their powder to the overall utilization of, of their plates. And then the other thing, uh, you, know, you guys also like literally cut models from parts. Are you actually doing that as a service? Like people send out for that? That one really surprised me, I think. In terms of the EDM work? 
Yeah, yeah exactly. The, 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 you do that for, you know, I've heard of people doing this because wire EDM for a bunch of people and also hipping right. and other, other stuff, right? But then it's more like a finishing right. shop that'll say like, hey, we'll cut it off, we'll wire EDM it, then we'll, we'll, we'll de-stress, we'll do everything and then and we'll even tumble it for you. You know, you know but you guys are doing like the, the, the cutoff step as well, right? Correct. So again, the, the, the longer term vision of what we would like to be uh, is, you know, is a turnkey shop for additives. So again, we'll sell you the base plate, but then the idea is we would love a customer to send us their base plate with the part on it. All they have to do is depowder it. We will then stress relieve it, cut it off, uh, solution age it, hip it, you know, whatever is needed. And we are doing that for a couple of customers right now. And that's as a, right now we do as a managed service. We don't have all that equipment in house, but then also, yeah, support removal, finished part machining. Also the idea of you can go through one supplier. You don't have to set up a hip supplier, a heat treat supplier, an EDM, a machine shop. You can, we will manage it. We will commit to the date. You know, we will, we will take care of it. Um, you know, and then that way you don't have to, you get all your certifications, um, you know, also final testing as well. So if you send a plate with, uh, you know, with say a, a stress and or a fatigue bars on it um, and also tensile bars, say I was losing the tensile piece there, um, you know, we can, we'll coordinate that and send that out. So I just did a, uh, you know, we did a quick video a couple of weeks ago, actually down at Adup, uh, talking with Adup from a machine side and then also uh, Ed Herderick from NSL test labs on the idea of, of partnering to accelerate qualification once you receive a machine. So add up, obviously making the machine NSL doing the testing, and then we become the, the integrator to help move all that through the system faster. So that, uh, that would be kind of, our, you know, our end goals to be able to have all those solutions, but also at a minimum have customers be able to just, you know, almost like a buffet, you can pick and choose which services you want. Not every customer needs every service, but it's available if they want it. And then the other thing is, of course, we talked about that before, this resurface, resurfacing stuff. Does that mean that you just like, you'll take the bill play and then you'll either send me a new one or you'll say, hey, this one's good for, and you'll track it as well? Because then, you know, if we're talking about these medical guys, they need for that thing to be level. They need for that thing to be in spec and tracked and everything. And, you know, do you do all that as well? Yes. So on the resurfacing side, uh, when a plate comes back in, we will we will inspect it as received because yeah, we do under we will understand. You know, if it's very warped, we'll work to communicate with the customer to say, you know, listen, it's going to take. We're going to have to remove this much material to get it back to flat and parallel. And by then, you know, your plate thickness will be at you know some minimum that you may not want us to do this. And so we at that point we could just scrap the plate and replace it. Uh, but again, in general, most of the times, uh, several of our, our, you know, our higher volume customers, they have a minimum amount of builds they get off their build plates. So by doing that, though, every time they come in, we track it. We know how many times we've seen that plate. We know how much material we've removed and we can and we share that data directly with the customer. So they start to see it because also in general, if you have a built and, and we serialize everything, too, that's another piece. I think when a lot of us got started in this industry, the plate was just a plate. Now we give it a serial number so we can track where that plate has been and we understand it because if that plate comes back in, let's just say, you know, for five times in a row, I've removed 30 thousandths of material off of it every time. Now all of a sudden I'm removing 50 or 60 thousandths of material. You know, it just at least raises a red flag to talk to the customer and say, 
you know, did something change? You know, could there be something going on with your machine? Did something change in the process? You know, again, it's not a definitive answer, but it's enough data to at least kind of give you a point in the right direction to say, you know, th there might be a shift here and you might want to be aware of that. That's cool. And then, okay, so the bill plate, I understand. I can totally understand that, that that's a doable thing. But what about a recoder blade? I thought that was just, you know, that's something you buy from certain people that you buy your machine from. So, I mean, recoder blades, I mean, again, are... You know, hard. You know, and when I talk about that, I talk about just the hard metal recoder blades. So, within that piece, you know, hard metal recoder blades are a you know they're a machine piece of metal. And so we started with offering that that service to folks. You know, we've also partnered with some OEMs on actually you know manufacturing those for them as well because very much like the build plate, it's not something they actually make. Uh, but the other idea is you know when you have those collisions. Uh, and you basically have like a notch in your blade, we take those back and we can refurbish those for you as well uh, so that you can put them back into service. And you also have, on top of that though, you also have folks that, uh, you know, want non-standard materials for their recoder blades so that it limits the interaction with the process that they're using. So they don't worry about, um, you know, a, a softer material, you know, contaminating another material or you have a heart, you know, a specific hardness requirement for what you're doing. You know, so again, we're there open to make those for folks as they continue in their journey. Okay. Uh, that, that's interesting. And then, so you've already kind of said you want to be a one-stop shop, but does that mean you're going to like add a lot of post-finishing, uh, you know, powder? What kind of other stuff do you, service do you hope to add to your, uh, to your, to your offering? So, yeah, I mean, obviously I think the, the idea we have, you know, what we want to see is. I don't, you know, I don't know that we become like a full-blown machine shop where we're doing all the finishing. Um, I think when we, again, when we look at, you know, the, the finer finishing, which, you know, I would call like the, you know, the isotropic finishing or the polishing, you know, we have partners for that now uh, that we use. We may look to invest in equipment, you know, when, when the time is right. But uh, powder becomes a very interesting piece that, uh, you know, it, it is interesting because the idea and talking with, you know, a lot of the OEMs, again, getting back to what they want to do and what we want to do, you know, if an OEM sends out a machine and we're able to send a complete kit, you know, recoder blades, plates, and powder, and it's, you know, it's there and available, uh, you know, that is, that is something that we, you know, would definitely look at. It's just making sure that we find, uh, you know, the right partner uh, in, you know, in powder to be able to do that. Because uh, it's not the idea of, you know, we just want to carry everyone's powder uh, all the time. You know, we, we want to pick, uh, obviously, a, you know, a trusted partner to go with that and then say, listen, we're now, you know, a distributor of this. But then also, I think, to from a powder supplier standpoint, to be an avenue for them to work on, say, you know, I don't want to say or less desirable orders, but, you know, just orders that are below a certain minimum for them that just don't make sense for them to handle. Uh, that would be right in our, our wheelhouse to be able to handle. So uh, smaller quantities, one-offs, you know, transactional purchases, you know, we, we would be looking at that as, as a tool to expansion as well. So the other thing is like we've seen the service drive business that, the you know, the, the, the services typically is a kind of regional business, right? You need to actually be able to drive down and talk to these people for them to have trust in you enough to build their prototypes or their medical devices or whatever. And so it's really strongly regional. Do you think your business is going to be like that as well? Uh, you know, that you're going to be dealing with the people in like, you know, a couple hours driving distance and you're going to have to expand across the country. Or what do you think? Yes, is the is the answer. We are looking at where the next piece of expansion is. 
uh, for us. I can say, though, right now, we do business with folks all over the country and in Canada. So, I mean, we have, you know, we have we have accounts in the you know, West Coast and then all the way, you know, all the way down to Florida. And so we're working with everyone. And that, part of the reason we're able to do that um, is due to our logistics. So we have a very good logistics department. And so we, another piece that we try to offer to folks is to say, listen, all you have to do is call us. Tell us what you got. We'll pick it up. You know, we'll coordinate that and we'll drop it back off. Uh, and for folks that turn around, they say, well, how am I going to ship this to you? Again, let us know what you have. We build a crate for you. We'll ship you the crate. All you do is put it in the crate and go. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we have had re reasonably good success with that. We are seeing the need, though, as some you know pockets really continue to grow, especially on the West Coast. I think there'll be a need out there to be able to expand our services to decrease turn times. And, you know, I think as you say too, with these larger parts, obviously decrease the risk. Cause yeah, when I think about sending my, you know, 400 pound part across country, you know, I get, you know, I, I think about that a little bit too. What are, what, what are the possible risks? So I think as we get something more local to help those folks, uh, you know, that'll be, that'll be a winner for everyone. All right. Cool. Well, thank, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, absolutely. No, this has been great, guys. Like I say, this is, this is what I do every day. And I think, you know, when you see it too, when you talk about wanting to make sure that, you know, your customers can talk to you, that's something that, that I value a lot. And I think if you, if you, if you ever see me on LinkedIn, you know, it's almost like a map of, Hey, where is he this week? Um, you know, actually I just got back from the, the DMC down in Nashville. And I mean, what a, what a great time. My first time going to that conference, but I mean, fantastic contacts down there, great city to be in. And, you know, I'm about to tally up here by the end of the year, like how many states I've actually been in this year. It's it's, it's staggering amount for what I what I thought when I look back at it. But uh, you know, I'm passionate about this, and uh, I think as as you said, it's it's a very interesting take on this business, but it's a way that will help additive continue to scale and grow, and allow everyone to focus on you know their their core competencies and and what they want to do to be able to drive and 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 be profitable. All right, man. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks. And and thank you for being here as well, Max. No, always happy to uh, geek out on additive. So thanks for having me, Joyce. And thank you for listening to another episode of the 3D Pod. You have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.